Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we are with Jen Lee, who is a two-time Paralympian, two-time gold medalist, is the current starting goalie of the sled hockey team, the U.S. Paralympic sled hockey team that is going for its fourth gold medal in a row. Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome. Hey, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a it's an honor, and thank you for even considering me to be on your podcast. Oh no, this is this is so cool. I am so excited. I mean, you guys are going for your fourth gold medal in a row. What is what does that mean to you? Well, it's definitely a very, very surreal type of experience and obviously a very honor to be even be part of that because just the fact that us being on this team and in the history of this team, there's a lot of great players right before me, before us. And just knowing the fact that we're going to be going for the fourth medal, it's something that I think no one has done in the history of our sport. And, and able to accomplish that definitely takes a lot of hard work. And it's something for us, for sure, it's, 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 it's back of our mind, but we know the focus is just to, it's one day at a time, you know, that's for sure. Well, that's, that's the way that all sports work, one day at a time. It's interesting, 2002 was my last games. So my last winter games was 2002. And the sled hockey team won the gold medal in 2002. But the only reason they were in the tournament is because they were hosting the tournament. Yes, correct. A little bit of uh, fun fact. Uh, I, I did a little bit of paper, uh, research paper on, on the team or how the USA sled hockey started while when I went to school at UT, at University of Texas. And it's crazy because uh, they were in Nagano in 98 and they did not have the fully funded support from the, the NGB, the non-government uh, bodies. And they pretty much had to fight their own ways or raise monies and everything else to, to just to go to Japan and, and play. So in 2002, when they won, it was definitely still a team that was not fully you know, endorsed or sponsored by an NGB official. And when they won, it definitely has changed the persona and the route for, for USA sled hockey team, for sure. Yeah, for the rest of us. You've had a bit of a circuitous route to get to this point. So, born in Taiwan, right? Yep, I was. Uh, I like to. I like to joke. Made in Taiwan. I was made in Taiwan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when did When did you come to the states? Came into the states side when I was ninety in nineteen ninety five when I was about eight years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you were about eight years old. So at this point, are you? Do you consider yourself Taiwanese? Do you consider yourself American? I mean, you, you served in the in the military as well, which I would imagine would cement a lot of your American ties. But how do you how do you consider yourself? Well, you know, as eight years eight years old for me, I, I definitely didn't even think it through or what I was. You know, for me, it was just emigrating to a, a totally different foreign country, a nation where I had no idea except watching. From what I, you know, from TV, the Disneyland, the, the pizza, the hamburgers, and all that good stuff, and I, I was definitely very excited to go to to the United States, you know. But I really had no knowledge or a lot of different things of what's gonna happen ahead of me. So for me, I, I think 
just to, you know, as a kid at that time, I, I definitely would just say just a regular kid that was excited to know what was going to happen, you know, once we get to the state side or to, to mainland. Mm -hmm. and, and you said you've maintained the ability to converse in Mandarin Chinese as well, right? Uh, uh, yeah, correct. I, for me, uh, for me, we continue my, I have, I grew up with two older sisters, my parents, and we, we spoke Mandarin throughout the, the entire of my adulthood, childhood as well. When I enlisted in the army at 18, uh, even though I was doing basic training or in the Southern states and all that good stuff, but over the, over the years, uh, either on the phone or emails or, or mails and all that stuff, we always continue to, to speak in, in Mandarin Chinese because my parents, that's, that was like one of their, that's their main language too as well. So I always try to, uh, you know, communicate that way in that sense. So, yeah. <laughs> do, your, do your parents, are they able to speak English pretty well too? Or, or is it really Chinese that, that is the common language for you guys? My dad was was definitely more fluent or better as far as speaking English wise. My mom was 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 one that was you know picking up a little bit slower. Uh, she had to learn as 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 we had to learn as me and my sister at once we came to the state side. But my dad had a different uh, you know for his education he was able to speak and learn English you know growing up in in his uh, native land and everything else too. So. Yeah, it's a little bit of difference. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, this is one of those things that looking at, because you're going to Beijing and going yes. to Beijing, you, you will, we were talking about the host team in hockey gets gets a berth, right? So the Chinese will have a team, right? I'm assuming a, a sled hockey team. Yes, they, they're, the, they're the hosts. So they automatically have the team like you just mentioned. So they actually were in the sea pool and then went, to the B pool and you know prior to the pandemic so uh for, for for four years now five years I would say wherever whenever the uh the Chinese with China got the you know the bid for to host the games they started investing the sled hockey program or the Paralympic programs and you know they have good good Chinese players we've seen them watching uh watching them compete as well in the B pool and they're up and coming as well but uh but as far as 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 far as we know, before the pandemic, how they are now, where they are, we have no idea until we're going to play them in Beijing, hopefully. Well, yeah, that's always the big question with the Chinese, isn't it? That that they're sort of in their own little world there and and they could go from from not having a good team to having the best team in the world, possibly. I mean, we've seen this in some other sports where where they've emerged really quickly, but at least you'll be able to understand what they're saying when they're, when you're out there on the ice. You're like, you know, you can infiltrate them in some ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not necessarily infiltrate, but for sure, if, if there's little things that, that they, you know, communication is, is a big part of our sports, especially on the ice, where, you know, for me, I'm a very vocal guy in net. So I definitely communicate with my defense a lot. So it's the same thing as I'm sure they will talk about, you know, how they're able to move the puck or a different type of different little things that you'll pick up on the ice. But so if you put it that way, I, I guess it helps us team as I have a little advantage if we do, if we do play against them. Uh, or I can just say, you know, maybe just, they're not even talking about hockey. They're maybe just uh, talking about what's their favorite food or they want to eat at the, at the Paralympic village later or something. <laughs> exactly. Or you could sort of shock them, right? Like, Hey, I'm going to move you out of my crease right now. And they're like, 
Huh? What? You just said that in Chinese. This... <laughs> right. And, and, you know, believe it or not, I'm probably going to do some chirping, you know, in Mandarin, you know, and see how that goes. Pick up the little lingos, you know, what they say, and I'll say it right back or, or, or what the lingos that, or the little chirp that I pick up while I was in Taiwan and little things. So I think it's going to be fun. I think it'd be cool to, to, to experience that when, when we cross that bridge. <laughs> Which is great. So, so when you, so you graduated from high school and then, and then went into the military, what, what made you want to go into the military when you were, when you left high school? Yeah. You know, for me, it was always military. was always something that I want to do. It's uh, something that I always, when I was little, I want to, become like a G.I. Joe and, and the military fascinated me from, you know, soldiers jumping out of airplane to a war movie, more movies I came up, I grew up with. But it was not really until September 11, 2001, where I was a sophomore in high school. And it was the first time when, you know, watching the plane hitting the World Trade Centers, the Pentagon, and also the, the plane that landed and crashed in Pennsylvania. It was the first time that I felt and to be honest, that I felt like, wow, like uh, as American as a whole, we as America came together because uh, coming to the state side, I was still something we just talked about. I had no idea what my identity is. You know, I, I was still going through phases and transitioning as a as an immigrant kid to to learning the culture, adapting to the culture of the United States of, of being an American. And in that right there itself. Uh, made me realize, wow, this is something that I, wa I want to get into because this is this happened to us, and and want to see if I can do something about it, you know. So that's so. Did you sign up like as soon as you could, kind of thing? Like eighteen years old, this is it. I'm going in, and, and which branch of the military did you go into? Y yeah, I, I actually did. So sophomore year, when it happened, by junior year, I actually enlisted. So they call it a Delay entry program. I enlisted while I was at 17. Uh, there was a lot of complication with that with my parents as well. So something we can talk about or not. But uh, I wanted, you know, again, like the movies and everything else. And, and I realized there was really two branches I wanted to, to, you know, that narrow it down. I couldn't swim, so I wasn't going to join the Navy. And um, I, I felt like Air Force. It, it's a, it's a rumor, but I just felt like I didn't know enough about being in the Air Force and. Or maybe of all the four branches, Air Force is a little bit soft out of all four or five branches. I'm sorry, the Coast Guard, can't forget about the Coast Guard. And um, so it was down to the Marine or the Army. And the Marines, I love their, their uniform, you know, their dress blues. But the Army just had this like different type of swag where you can be all you can be. And I was like, that's it. You know, I want to I want to I want to enlist in the United States Army, you know. <laughs> So what did that mean for you, the, the idea of being all that you can be? What did that, what, what did you expect out of it? What did you want to get from yourself? Well, for me, it was definitely, I was at a point in high school where I knew, you know, I, I got into sports. I'm always a big sports enthusiast, uh, participants and a fan of all different types of sports. And for me, I was, I was playing basketball on, on the, on the high school team as well, along running, running track and field and, and tennis. And there was just something that I, I knew the military could give me also the discipline as far as like not just being an athlete. And for me, I, I wanted to, to do something challenging because sports always brings that different type of challenges for you as well, you know? So 
that kind of really just made me want to understand that, hey, maybe this will give me more than more than what I, you know, what I have right now or what I'm thinking and everything else goes. <laughs> Some challenges that are greater than the ones that you would seek for yourself, putting you in that position where you had to figure out how good you could really be. For sure. Because at the same time, you know, I, I didn't, you know, as a growing up as a uh, Asian Americans or as a, as a, you know, the Chinese Taiwanese cultural background, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how familiar you know about uh, this particular side, but like, you know, your parents are putting a lot of emphasis in you becoming, you know, being educated, right? But not only in education, but you got to go to a good school afterwards. You got to study your butt off. You, and then you're, you're not chasing your dream. You're chasing career that's going to make you money, like becoming a doctor, becoming an engineer, something like a, 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 a high standard of some, you got to be somebody. And but for me, grew up in, in, in the inner city uh, school, and, and, and doing different type of different things, you know, listen to, uh, you know, or hanging out with different type of people. I, I definitely did not find colleges seriously. And I, I definitely was on my way to just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm just going to sham this thing. And until I, I, I figure out what I want to do. And, and that, that itself kind of like, was I saying, hey, maybe military is the answer. War can be the answer for uh, making me a little bit more mature and all that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> so was this the conflict you were talking about with your parents where you decided to go into the military and they wanted you to go to go to college and start your pre-med or your pre-law or whatever you needed to do? Oh, for sure. It was huge because at that time, you know, by sophomore year, junior year, going on junior year and senior year, you know, my cousins, all my cousins in the Bay Area, my relatives and all that uh, distance cousin and whatnot, they all had kind of like, like you know, getting into like UC Berkeley or, or, you know, going to UC Davis or becoming something great. And, you know, we're at this like family gathering, right, where everybody's like talking about, you know, their kids and all these things. And, and you know, even my sister at that time was getting uh, admitted to San Jose State as a business major and all these things. And then, you know, you have uncles and aunts talk about, oh, how about your son? How about her? You know, how about Jen? And um, I remember my dad just laugh it off like, <laughs> oh, you know, like they just couldn't answer him. Like, we have no idea what my son's going to do. And even me, like I will, I will uh, tell my cousins, my cousins around my age is like, oh, you know, I, you know, I heard you play basketball. That's so cool. What are you going to do? And I'm over here like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to trying to, you know, get some scholarships and stuff like, no, I wasn't going to get no scholarships. You know, I had no work ethic. Yeah. So I was just trying to uh, figure out what I want to do. But at the same time, my parents, you know, uh, was super against it about me going to military. And that was another that was another conflict because of the fact that they they just absolutely did not, you know, want me to join the military. They they just do not do not understand this whole concept. And you know, as as a parent, they they, you know, for them, it's hard to like let their baby go. Like, I can't let my son go, you know. Yeah. So they were worried as much about your safety as they were about you not necessarily going to UC Berkeley or something like that. For sure, for sure, because around that time, you know, the war was going on, you know, that, that was, and that was given, you know, it was, it was 2001, you know, we were already went to Afghanistan the following year, and, and on top of that, like, my dad would ask me, okay, so you want to go to the Army, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to become an Army, uh, Army Airborne Ranger, you know, I watched Black Hawks Down at that time, I watched the Band of Brothers, you know, um, Full Metal Jacket, and my dad was like, 
no, you're you're not we're not I'm not just gonna let you enlist and become you know go go to war right away and then put your risk put your life on the line and um and then because like it, like I mentioned I, I I joined at 17 so they wanted me you know they 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 pretty much my dad made an off or made a deal struck a deal he says I'll let you sign I'll sign the paper I'll let you I'll let you enlist in the army but you I get to pick your MOS I get to pick the job you're gonna go. And you know, at the 17 at that time, I didn't know that, oh, I can just wait till I was 18 to do it. So of course I, I respect my dad, I love my dad. I say, okay, okay, I'll let you pick the job, you know, then I can go to the army. <laughs> and what did he pick? He picked the good old aviation, helicopter mechanics, you know. He was like, you gotta at least require some sort of good electrical skills or some sort of like, you know, like mechanics was a great skill set to have too, especially in the aviation field. And, you know, knowing my dad and my dad's friends who were like aviation mechanic, they all like talk to me about it and, and like the hours, like the, the, the money you can make uh, after you're getting out and all these stuff. So, of course, I didn't know nothing about aviation, but I had to score, you know, I scored pretty high as, on my ASVAB and I, I just say, okay, I'll, I'll do that, you know, but it's crazy, but everything worked out, even though it's not the job that I necessarily like, but it, it definitely, you know, going that around the aviation field, still able to make me want to able to give me certain schools or special skills that require which is which is pretty cool which is something that you could use afterwards but your father got the benefit that you would actually be safe that you wouldn't be on the front line you'd be back home waiting for the helicopter to return yeah you know like for me it's just it's instead of being the front line we're in a combat situation environment i'm more of a uh, on the base, you know, they call it the FAW for observation base, where you're a little bit more safer, you're not getting shot at, you know, you're not, you're not getting, you know, being blown up by IEDs or vehicle IEDs, BVET, you know, the things that you have to worry about is rockets and, you know, different types of mortars lobbing over the, you know, the perimeters and stuff like that where we're staying at for sure yeah so, so you were a little you were supposed to be a little bit safer but then you ended up losing your leg while you were in military service so how how did that happen if you were supposed to be safer yeah what are the odds right so you know i deployed to iraq in 2006 2007 and when i came back short, a little bit afterwards like in 2009 I, I got stationed in Savannah at that time already. I was I deployed to Iraq with the 25th ID unit, which is out of Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. And when I got PCS to Savannah, Georgia, uh, and I got this time I got attached to their infantry division, their ID, Rock of the Marne. And we were getting ready to go to Afghanistan. Like it was like November that time, oh, 2009, November, we we're supposed to go to Afghanistan. But in March, I got my motorcycle accident. Me and four other NCOs, non-commissioned officers, uh, were four riding buddies. We were just riding down to Jacksonville, Florida, and was coming back from Jacksonville, Florida to Savannah. And that's on Interstate 95. I got hit and pretty much closed one chapter and then opened up another, which I had no idea then, you know. Yeah. Wow. So you got hit. I mean, that that's got hit on the highway. Like, that's a big deal, right? You're lucky that you just lost a leg oh yeah for sure i um for me it's definitely i'm very fortunate to to walk out just a leg amputations i i definitely uh thought i was not going to make it because i still remember the accident like it was yesterday 
still have like that type of type of like the you know that memories of the smell the tires and everything else that yes so for when it, it struck me and then eventually i lost control of my motorcycle due to the impact and it was ejected i i still felt uh, I, I knew you know me you know rolling on the ground everything else and luckily where the accident happened where i was struck was in a big uh, middle of the field, like grassy field, instead of like a concrete barrier or a cement ground or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so what happened was the was the truck just moving, changing lanes or something like that, and didn't see you, or how did how how did the hap accident happen? Yeah, no, it's uh, it was it was between the accident was me and in the vehicle that it was a regular sedan, four door car. And she just didn't see me, and I was on her right hand side, and I believe she had a, a an exit coming up about a mile down the road, and then she was trying to change her lane to mine. Didn't see me, lost her, you know, trying to change her lane back to the center lane where she was at. But fishtail, she you can tell she lost uh she lost control of her vehicle, and then eventually came back to me. At that time, I I kind of just froze. You know, I probably could have done some. Uh, maneuver, safety maneuver uh, ways to avoid her, but I just thought that she was going to hit me right away, so I didn't react because I again I just just kind of blank or spaced out. So when the vehicle came back and hit me, it, it happened so quickly, and bam, you know, next thing you know, we're you know we're on the, on the in the scene of the accident, we're on the in the field. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. And so you lost your leg above the knee. Is that right? Yeah. So eventually, two months later or so, uh, they they amputated my leg below the knee first, but they just didn't couldn't uh, save my leg or they couldn't close my wound below the knee due to the infections and, and the ways that the way I was a skinny guy. I'm still a skinny guy. They just couldn't have enough skin to kind of wrap this up, and they just say, "Hey, man, you know the best the orthopedic surgeon, Doctor Buckingham." He says, I think the best is to go above the knee. That way you'll be a little bit better off, you know, as far as getting the wound closed up and everything. Mm -hmm. The safety part of it. So mm -hmm. you're going to the Paralympics for the third time. How did you get into hockey? I mean, you said you grew up in California. You're in, you're in San Antonio now. How did you get into hockey? Yeah, it's a pretty interesting little story behind that. Uh, for me, you know, when I was in Taiwan, the sports that was that was really big and popular was baseball and, and then basketball, you know, but baseball was just huge. So I was a huge baseball fanatic and, and you know, growing up. And when I came to the state side, uh, there was definitely different sports that I never knew or I didn't know how to play. Uh, football was definitely one of them, then hockey. And hockey was something that around fifth grade, that it became very popular due to the Mighty Ducks, you know, uh, the movie Mighty Ducks. And when I when I watched Mighty Ducks, just like I watched different type of sports uh, movies, like The Sandlot or like Angels in the Outfield, you know, I Mighty Ducks was something that was like really interesting to me. And I was like, man, that would be cool to play that particular sport. And at that time, it, it became really popular in the Bay Area, inline hockey or roller hockey. And that's when I kind of got into roller hockey first at the uh, parking parking recs, you know, YMCA after school things. And there was like a group of kids that started playing uh, for 
you know, for their hobby and reasons. So I started joining them and just kind of got into it and play for, for fun. And next thing you know, like I realized I can't skate. I have no good footwork. And they were like, let's get you in front of the net, you know? And I was thinking like, oh, that's so cool. They still want me to play. It's really like, they just want an extra body to get shot at, you know? So uh, at that time, I really got into hockey. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's awesome. So you became the target, the, uh, the goalie, but you had to like it though. I mean, like if you're going to be a goalie, you have to like that because they're shooting at you and they're shooting hard and it can hurt. And what, what made you like being a goalie? Yeah. And so that, that was the thing. It's like scoring goal was cool. You know, I tried the roller thing and, and everything else. But when I got into the net and, 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 and able to kind of just like stopping some pucks and all these things, and I, I started like really like start loving the, the this position particularly. And on top of that, the guy that really got me into it, uh, his name is Richard Solomon. You know, he was a hockey fanatics, you know, and he started like taking me, you know, under his wing, went to went to the house to to show a bunch of, uh, you know, 50 great saves, you know, from like the 90s, you know, all these things. And I'm like watching Chris Osgood, Dominic Hasek, you know, like making these miraculous saves. And I was just like, wow, that that's super cool. Like, you know, they, they're the, you know, they're like, you know, Richard telling me like, you know, goalies are the game changer, the momentum changers and all these different things. So, um, and in a way, and I'm also a weird guy, I guess you want to say. So like, you know, goalies have their own little different entity of like mindset and thinking in a way that just kind of makes sense to me that like, hey, I'd rather, I like the oohs and ahs, like the disappointment of the fan or, or people be like thinking it's a goal and then it didn't go in, like robbing them and all these good stuff. And, and that's, that became like my little mantra. <laughs> so the personality side of it, if you're a little bit different do you become a goalie or do you become a little bit different by virtue of being a goalie? Which way, the chicken and the egg thing, which one comes first? Man, that's a good question. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it kind of goes, you know, vice versa. Like, it, it, you know, it has a little parallel and perpendicular index of it, I, you know, it, because you, you just gotta, you just gotta find out like what suits you, you know, like, for me, you know, in basketball, I love, I love, you know, being, you know, score and going in the basket, right? But then, like, in this particular sport, it's like, I'd rather be the one that makes the saves, you know, I guess. So, you just got to have a different type of mindset, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> is, is this where, where the beard's coming from a little bit? Is this part of the uh, the display <laughs> of your, your originality, too? Oh, that's hilarious. No, this is like, because, you know, as a veteran, we, we all... So veteran has this thing, you know, when you come out of the military, veterans like to grow their beard, right? You know, that to grow their facial hair and all these things. But like, for me, I can't grow a facial hair. I try, you know, like I try to grow a mustache, but look at this thing right now. I'm sure you can see it. It's like a koi fish. There's like nothing in the middle. And then like, and that's it, you know? So, so somehow, some way this chin hair that I started like back in like 2012 or something like that it's as yeah it's, it's 2012 and look how, how much that's gone not not that far not that much not that far but I call it the wise cue you know the the longer this become the wiser I become and, and just the laughter I become the louder the laugh I too like ha, 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 you know like a like a kale bale character that throws his little uh Fu Manchu to the back <laughs> that is awesome now how would your 
how, I mean, you're talking about the personality of being a goalie. How would your teammates describe you? What would, how would they describe you as, as a teammate, as a person, as a goalie? I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, for me, it just, I always, I always try to, you know, I'm just trying to be myself, you know? So, and I think the biggest, the biggest thing from growing up to even now at 35 years old, 35 years young, you know, I, comedy where a jokester or goofball is definitely part of me. I'm still like a little kid at heart. And, and I'm the type of that, you know, I always try to line up the mood if the, if the locker room or we're in a tough situation or uh, after a bad practice or something like that, I'm trying to be trying to be the guy that's like funny or different things, you know. And so I think I think the, my teammates enjoy that as far as like me being myself, being the goofball. And not, not, you know, not taking things very serious when it's, when you, when people are taking things too serious, you know, but there's times that I'm definitely, you know, not smiling, not, 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 you know, being like a goofball. And that's when they're like, we need to like the laughable gin back or something like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of hard when you're the goalie too, right? Because if, if you get one shot on you and that one shot goes in, then things are bad, right? Whereas, you know, you can get 30 shots and 30 saves and, and one goes in and it's like, and it still could be bad. So it's kind of like, you have to maintain this sense of like, not really, not really remembering what happened last. Like you're just in that moment, which is a hard place to be. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, wow. Like goalies is a uh, goaltender. Something for me personally, that it's a position that you still, you all, you will always learn over the years as you play this game longer, you know, the, the longer you play in this position, the more you understand not only about the game, but yourself. And for sure that uh, being a goaltender, being a netminder, your mental process is different. And the focus of that level is totally, totally different as well. And for me, I'm very fortunate that as a, uh, you know, playing on the team for the last few seasons, for the last two games, right? I, I got the chance to watch uh, my great teammate, my good, good friend of mine as well, Steve Cash, to see how the, the different type of focus level he becomes. You know, he, he is a great uh, energetic and he's a great guy, like super fun and super, you know, super laughable, interactive person to be around. But when it comes to like game time, when it comes to like that moment where, you got to like be this dime size focus, I like to call it like he is just totally on it or he's just a totally different person. And then eventually, gradually, I, I started to understand that and knowing that role of like the amount of different pressure that it can put on you. But at the same time, you, you just can't do well on like, oh, a bad goal and everything else. You know, it's going to happen. It's, it's 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 easier said than done. Right. But it is definitely a different ways of my, one of my former teammates like to call it be a goldfish, you know, short-term memory, right? Like, you know, it, it's what all these things surrounding you, all these, you know, whether that, whether it's cameras, whether it's the fans or, or, or your, your, whoever is going through your head, it's not going to make, it's not going to help you stop the, you know, the shot or the shot that's coming next. So that's the easy way to say. It. So was it easier to be the goofball when you were the backup to the best guy in the world? And now that the best guy in the world has retired and you're moving into the number one position, does that make you change who you are? Or, or are you like, this is who I am. This is what, what brought me here. Chris, 
you know, I have to say, you know, I got the chance to uh, look at your background, all these things. You're you're a uh, a badass athlete yourself, you know. So, you know, for you to ask that question, man, you definitely got me there. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, like, because for sure that, you know, me being a from a backup pers- uh, per se to a, a starting goalie per se, it's a totally different role, and it's something that I'm still learning as we go. And yes, it, it is definitely a a different type of focus and responsibilities and all these things that that you have to dial in even a little bit more and and I even just just you know for example we had the uh, a border series not too long ago a few months ago against Canada uh, where you know I, I was playing that game and the first game we play it was you know it could have been a a decisive between between us or Canada probably could have went to the overtime or or a shootout but that it was just a little type of like the little small focus a little I just got distracted and I just wasn't dialed in and bam like I let in a bad goal and and I felt like the loneliest person in the world you know and that itself I just wasn't sure you start having doubts and all these things and luckily I have great teammates and support my managers as well the coaches and, and then some, and that somewhere down down that line, the next day, you know, uh, it was saying that hey, sometimes like, you know, this is who we are. We love who we are. We love you as Jen Lee, but there are times, you know, either for sixty minutes of the game, or for that particular thing, you gotta be somebody different. And it's okay to to be a different person it, because that's when you gotta you know, thrive or excel or, or, or whatever that it comes or whatever, all these things that you, you, from training, from other games, from club games or different games you play, you, you got to be able to know that and, and then put it all together. And, and again, that's why I said, it's like, it's something that I learned as we go. And, and, and then kind of finally gave me that life of like, wow, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a wow for you. I mean, it's interesting to listen to you because you're talking about the goofball mentality. You're talking about the goldfish mentality, but also mm-hmm. over your shoulder, we see the Buddhist iconography, right? As well, where studying, studying to be in that moment. How, how is your studying of Buddhism? How does that help you in the crease? Yeah, you know, for me, for the longest time, you know, like I grew up, you know, not, you know, per se as like, you know, the 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 perfect family and all these stuff right and and I have different shares of experience where either I was you know racially bullied because I was different because I, I didn't, couldn't speak the common language or English right and different things and um and then over the years I realized like I developed this type of like anger or, or temperaments you know and you know then to do the military right where military doesn't really talk about your inner feelings, right? You go, you can go to the deployments or you can go have a bad day, whatever, but they just want you to, you know, the, you know, you, you'll hear this a lot of suck it up and drive on, or just kind of like, don't, don't talk about this. We're not going to cry over this shoulder. Like nobody's going to talk about, you know, that. So a, a lot of times over the years down the road, and then my accident happened, I, I, you know, I have this like constant, anguish or anger of me and, and where I, I can snap or I can just, you know, you know, I can be goof on if everything's okay, but there's certain things that, you know, if this doesn't go my way, the frustration, the negativity and all these things, you know, and, and, and for the longest time, everyone, you know, my parents, my dad, 
you know, my sisters or, or even my mentors to say, hey, you know, like, Jen, you got to learn how to meditate. And I was like, ain't nobody's going to learn. Nobody got time for that, right? That's the first thing we all like to talk about. We ain't, got, ain't nobody got time for that. We're not going to meditate. I don't have five minutes. I can't do, I can't sit down for 20 minutes, you know. But then, you know, in 2018, I went through a, a pretty, you know, in a way, something that that hit me. And, and knowing the fact that if I continue to go this route, I know down the road, either when I'm 40 or 50, I'm probably not going to live past that. Either I'm going to hurt somebody or I'm going to hurt myself. So I, that's when I really started developing, you know, started to studying about the Buddhism. And one thing for that particular is, is the meditation helps. Now, meditation is not a religious thing. You know, meditation can be, it's a totally different entity, but it helps you understand, makes you understand, helps yourself and discover that yourself as far as, you know, you got to be ever able to be all in one some, from time to time, as in everything that's going on where the world's spinning. If you take a moment to relax and and then understand why, why breathing is so important, then you realize that how to control that of your own angers and, and, and able to express that. And it helps me as well as, as, as far as the the, being a goaltender too, because there is a lot going on where you said, you know, where it's a tough, it's a tough, it can be a tough position if you don't understand it quite, quite enough. Yeah. I, it, it's an interesting thing, right? I mean, the idea of the meditation, the quiet and, and the idea of being a goalie, because it's such a ballistic move, right? I mean, like you have to be able to move like on the moment it's like well you don't need to mellow out like you need to be jacked up and it's like no you need to be mellowed out and like figure out what's going on so that then you can react without having that resistance necessarily we have to take that step back because we started talking about how you because you you said how you got into inline hockey and how you got into being a goalie but then after your accident after you lost your leg did you even know that there was Paralympic hockey that there was sled hockey no I, uh, I absolutely do not I did not I, I I didn't even know what Paralympic was and, and in fact you know part of me losing my leg or being injured you know like and I always say this too to, uh, whenever I talk to you know how do you how do you say able able bodies you know I didn't know I didn't I didn't know what disability is you know the the, the most knowledge I got was like hey you know the, you know either your your grandparents is, has a disabilities or or they're older or you know you see the handicap sign right and all these things so I had like no knowledge of this whatsoever so the Paralympic was totally a different brand uh, brand new things to me and and on top of that I was very fortunate that I got I wasn't I, when I was hurt. I was in a situation where, you know, the, the war and, the, you know, the, the surge and then the war was going on. And that's when our, our nations were putting, was putting more resources to, to the wounded and wounded and injured service veterans or the guys that's like hurting right down from the combat zone. And they, they're, you know, in the Paralympics happened to be one of the programs, they putting a lot of resources into that as well, where they help helping, you know, veterans to or transitioning from a soldier to an athlete or helping them in that therapeutic way hopefully that makes sense yeah but where where did hockey 
come into it because I mean some of the stuff is is fairly obvious right it's like okay well we want you to get back in shape do you want to go ride a bike do you want to like you could swim you could do whatever but but hockey when how did hockey happen yeah so you know I I didn't think I was going to play hockey again you know especially not ice hockey right state hockey is is on the ice so when I got hurt and got transferred to San Antonio Texas to Began my rehabilitation at the Center for the Intrepid. The there are a lot of different therapeutic sports, adaptive sports, and one of them was a sled hockey. So I tried wheelchair basketball, I tried hand cycling, I tried sitting volleyball, adaptive swimming, and sled hockey was a sport that was started by the nonprofit organizations locally here in San Antonio called Operation Comfort, and they have merged from partner or, you know, worked out, um, you know, a deal with the, with the Fort Sam Houston or Brooke Army Medical Hospital, as far as like, hey, we want veteran, we want the injured service members to, to come out and then, you know, either try sled hockey or different programs they have to offer. So that, you know, when I heard about sled hockey, I immediately thought about the inline hockey I used to play. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, like, you know, I, and I was just thinking it's like a wheelchair hockey or something, right? You know, just they were like, no, like you're, you're going to be on the ice and, and it's a full contact sport. It's there's checking and, and uh, it's it's all regulation, uh, the regulation. There's nothing, no rules changing to adapt to this, you know, and I was like, no way. Like you're, and then and I, I was definitely dumbfounded. I was like in like a little kid again, like I, I saw the, the rest of the patients that went to the ice rink and where well, there's even already um you know, players that's already been playing before or, or patients I've already been playing for a year or two. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. And that was it. And, and you guys love, it's the only contact sport in the winter time, right? So, so you guys get to hit each other. Was that part of the intrigue for you? Yes, absolutely. Because it was definitely a lot of people sign up for the sport because they were like, you know, you had a you know, people who, who injure and, and you know, you, you look at at that time at the rehab center, you know, there was a lot of guys who were, you know, wounded, combat wounded. And and there are days that there are good days or bad days. And, you know, there's a lot of frustration, you know, myself included about, you know, if I didn't, if I couldn't walk or, or whatever it is, if I'm having phantom pains and all these things. So a lot of, a lot of uh, patients were, were signing up because they were like, oh, you can hit somebody. Heck yeah. And, you know, I'm tired of like, you know, so-and-so, or, you know, he, I can't believe he's complaining or she's doing that. So like, we were just like wanting to like get our aggressions out on the ice, you know, and then like had no, had no like knowledge of like the game whatsoever, but we just knew that hitting was part of it. And, and, and that's like something that we were like wanted to do for sure. <laughs> How did you end up back in the goal again? Oh, I immediately signed up for goalie. I was like, I was, <laughs> I know, I know, right? I'm talking about all these like hitting and stuff. I'm like, I'm going to play goalie. And then, uh, and, and that was the funniest thing. Chris Leverkun, uh, which he's been a uh, operation, uh, a comfort employee. He's a combat wounded guy as well. He, he, when he was the one that's like goes around the hospital or goes on around the rehab center asking if anybody wants to sign up for this. And I told him, I said, yeah, I want to play. Sure. And he was like, oh, uh, what position you're thinking? And I was like, uh, I want to play goalie. He was like, he kind of chuckled and I was like, what's up? He was like, 
And oh well, good luck because nobody people want to play goalie, but nobody sticks with it. Normally, people just you know after two practices, they're like, "That's it, I'm done. This is the most boring position ever," you know. And I was like, "Well, I played goalie before, and all these things." And he he laughed again. He was like, <laughs> "And I was like, what's so funny?" He was like, "Well, a lot of people talk about they played goalie in the past, and again, they just." After two practices or so, they just, you know, picked up and left or become a forward or a defense man. And I was like, okay. But I stuck with it. And, uh, yeah, I guess here here I am. <laughs> you didn't quit after two practices. What's the, what's the mentality? I mean, you guys as a team, because you're coming out of the military, right? And then you're joining a team where, one, you said you get a chance to hit, right? Yeah. But it's also, is it a brotherhood that's similar to the brotherhood that you had when you were in the military? Yeah, you know, so that's that's the biggest thing too, you know, for not only hockey is a team sport, but it's also the camaraderie, you know, hopefully I said it right because English is my second language. Sorry, so it's, did. It's, it's great. Oh, thank you. It's the camaraderie. It's like the locker room, you know, it's a, it's locker room is such a, you know, such a dojo or a, you know, save heaven place where, you know, you know, for me at that time where you, we go in and then you, you have a bunch of, you know, different people from all over the branches, right? You got Army, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, you know, Navy, right? They're just, you know, we're all suiting up, getting gearing up and we're just bashing each other's branch or we're just talking smacks. And, and then you start like getting back into that old unit kind of feeling you know where you know when I was in my squad or platoon and all these things and we'll just like talk about like different types of different you know things you know conversations and it kind of give us that similarity at least for me and it, it definitely did with uh, other teammates and Rico Roman where you know he's he, he's a club teammate here at the San Antonio Rampage but you know and then we made the national team together as well he can say the same thing as the camaraderie where we're like just just bring that cohesiveness together, the whole cohesion. Then we go out there and then we're trying to kick butt, you know, we're trying to kick everybody's butt. You know, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> is this, it, is it where you, you recognize that you'd recovered? I mean, like you went through this traumatic thing of losing your leg. Yeah. Was this when you, you came back and you're in the locker room and you're like, oh, okay, I'm me. Did you have well, that realization anytime? Yeah, you know, for me, it, part of it for sure, it's like, you know, that it gave me another sense of a goal. It gave me a sense of like a, a different challenges that I can I can thrive or I can not thrive, but I can try to achieve now. You know, where in the military, for me, I, I thought about becoming a lifer or doing my 20 years or, 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 or why not, right? And, and then losing my leg and then becoming now you're just have no idea what's going to happen. Can you, do you, can I even walk again? Can I even run again? And all these things, you, you lose that, you lose that, that sense of like who you are. So the identity was like, wow, man, you know, I, now I, I find something and it's taking my mind off, like whatever I'm worrying about, you know, but at the same time, I was still uh, something I mentioned earlier, I was still going through a different different things of like anguish and, and, and all that. But at least at that time, that moment, that wasn't like a huge thing, you know? Mm -hmm. What's the, what's the character? I mean, you've told us that you're, 
you know, that you're a bit of a goofball sometimes, but, but you're a thoughtful goofball, you know, I mean, there might be a goofball, but then you're a meditating goofball. I mean, there, there, there's a whole lot in this goofball, really. What, it, what's the, what's the character of, of your team and your, your teammates? Well, for, uh, it depends, you know, if you're talking about the club teammates or like the, the, the national team. The U.S. Team. team. Yeah. So like, so like the Paralympic team, the people you'll be going to China with, the guys. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I was able to play on the team since 2010, you know, and a little bit of slight hiccup after 20, 2014. But, you know, for me being, you know, a, a rookie to now, the dynamic is definitely different, you know, but one thing for sure, you know, like, playing alongside like guys that's been around too, like uh, uh, Rico Roman, Kev Kevin McKee, uh, Josh Pauls, you know, I, we definitely have our own individual, even, you know, former teammates, Steve Cash, we all have our own individual of ways like coming out to be either personable, likable, fun, uh, funny in different ways, you know? So in, in that sense, you know, it, it just, it's just a different, it just, we, we have that and, and that's why it's, it's so important sometimes that, you know, we understand like the ultimate goal and what it is and we're willing to play for one another. You know, we're, we're willing to say, hey, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, waste a day. I'm not gonna, you know, goof off or, you know, not gonna spend, spend the time not just putting the work in because I know my brothers are, are working their butt off back home and because we all share a common goal is, is to to win this together, you know, and very fortunate we're, we've been on the on a pretty good positive winning side, you know. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting, right, because during COVID, a bunch of your teammates settled in Nashville, Tennessee, right? Yeah, so uh, believe it or not, they've been they've been there prior to COVID. A lot of a lot of guys been they started moving to Nashville about two, three years ago. And they realized that Nashville was going to be the, the next hub for sled hockey, or at least for the U.S. sled hockey national guys. We, we have moved and bounced around to, prior to 2014. You know, we were in, um, in Colorado Springs at the Olympic Training Center. And, and in 2018, we moved to Chicago. Prior to going to Pyeongchang, we are in Chicago. And then now for, for 2022, we are in training in Nashville. So it, it's a it's a different different movement type of things. And, and we kind of agree about like where we want to play, where we want to like reside and train. Mm -hmm. yeah, which is interesting because Nashville, I mean, Nashville, obviously, with the Predators is an NHL city. But but you don't think you don't I mean, like Chicago is one of those places you go, OK, original six team, right? So yeah. they've, they've been involved in hockey for a long time. Whereas Nashville is not necessarily the kind of place that you think of, but it's interesting just looking, I was looking at some of the Instagram stuff and I saw like Brody's down there where, where they were actually playing outside. They got a cold snap down in Nashville and they're playing outside in their sleds and doing a little bit of sketching behind some cars that looked like in their, uh, in, in their, in their thing. How much is the, fun part of what you guys do as a team how much does that bring you together when things get critical yeah I think one thing for at least you know speaking for myself here like one thing for me that's always like if there's you know different types of things going on whether is you know this, this pandemic or, or or whatnot you know sled hockey 
is definitely in a way to bring us together, you know, where we, you know, we kind of just put everything else on the side and then, and then we, we can play hockey, you know, competitively, but at the same time, at the, at the end of the day, like fun, you know, and, you know, you mentioned like Brody is there, Declan is there, Brody and Declan, you know, they, they made a team 2014 as well, where they were like 15, 16. So like watching them growing up. Yeah. And, you know, they, they were the diaper lines that they call it. Right. And, you know, like they, they were like one of the youngest guys, but like they pretty much like were dominating, you know, in the games at that time. And just to watch them grow, you know, to who they are and becoming who they are. It, it is just a phenomenal way. It's, it's cool. It's like, you know, as a, as a, older guy you're like oh I'm so proud of them ha ha you know so you know in that in that in that sense you know like it's but we always know that like because you know we we understand the fun part of it you know but we also understand the 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 amount of the work ethic you got to put in and and that's what really kind of brings out like like who we are and and understand that share that that bond of like knowing that you know, Declan did not stop grinding, even though he became maybe uh, the one of the best or the best guy in the world. And, and Brody's right behind him and all these things. But it doesn't give them or Jack Wallace, you know, but it doesn't give them like the break or the benefit of like, oh, you know, I'm the best. Like, no, like the grind doesn't stop, you know, and, and then and then it gives us the guys who are, are a little bit elder, older, right, to to understand that, too, where it's like man, these kids are going full, you know, full throttle. So there's no break between uh, for us too, because military guys, we don't have the mil- we don't have the hockey background. Well, we didn't play when I said hockey when we were five. So we're learning as we go, you know, meanwhile, we're trying to like figure out how to walk or figure out, you know, different types of th- obstacles in, in hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we talked about a little bit, the Chinese team that you'll see in Beijing, but if you're going to win the gold medal, the gold medal is going to go through Canada, isn't it? It, it will be, they, it will probably be like the most likely the, you know, repeated. Yeah. You know, in the history between, you know, and hockey wise, I'm talking about I'm speaking, you know, Canada and U.S. Right. It's, there's always that rivalry. And, and then sled hockey, boom, it's the same thing. You know, they they go as back as far as, you know, when, when, Stevie was in net, you know, like in since Torino. And, and, you know, at that time, they were like the dominant power and all these things, you know. So, yeah, that's pretty much like what everyone is kind of like want to, you know, want to set up the, the stage to be as far as like the gold medal match. But you can't count out uh, Russia or, or I'm sorry, RPC, you know, the pretty much Russian Paralympic, but you can't call them Team Russia for some reason. Uh, but then there's different different type of uh, China China is a sleeper team I know for a fact that they can just come out full swing you know where upset everybody all these things and this happened when we we're in Sochi where you know we hadn't we didn't know Russia was going to be that great but then they just was on a different team every year they just getting better and better and better so yeah you just never know you know but that's the goal our goal is to be in a gold medal match and whoever we play it, it we know it's going to be tough we know it's going to be competitive and you know hoping it's going to be a great hockey game, that's for sure, you know. Will, will you get some spicy food when you're in Beijing? You think you'll get some in the village? Oh, for sure. I mean, well, I don't I don't know they, you know, I don't know they will offer spicy food, but I hope so. Sichuan, you know, it's a different type of spicy. You know, the, the, the Chinese definitely eat a lot of, 
you know, very spicy food because of where they are, the region is you no, know, they're cold. it's very cold. And, and I grew up eating very spicy myself. I have this almost like the same taste bud as my mom. My mom used to love the, the Southern East Asian style from the Thai, the Burmese. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping for some like good spicy food and stuff like that. And also McDonald's too. I want to make sure I want to try the McDonald's. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, you have to put your uh, your Cantonese to good use. If you're not getting the spicy food in the village, you're going to have to find somebody there and go, hey, hey, I, I need some of this. Can you get me? Can you get me something spicy? Will you do that? Well, I mean, I, I hope so. But, you know, Cantonese is not my, my primary, like it's not, Cantonese is tough. It's it's a totally different dialect. But, you know, my Mandarin, hopefully. Oh, your Mandarin, I'm sorry. Your Mandarin. Oh, no, no worries. Good. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, but, but my Mandarin is definitely, you know, hopefully I can be able to like spit out some like Mandarin lingos to them and like help them like hook me up. If not, I have to pass in the past, you know, in the World Championship or uh, World Sledge Challenge Tournaments, uh, Team Korea, I got, you know, I got to know and met, I got to make friends with a lot of uh, Korean teams. And there were times, you know, during a jet lag, we can't sleep, they can't sleep. And I'm like, you know, Facebook messaging Cam and be like, hey, you guys got some like noodles or something like that. And then like hook me up with some like spicy noodles because they, they know, you know, we go way back. <laughs> How about your teammates? Are there any of your teammates who are going to follow you in your, your food excursions? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a few. Uh, you know, Rico Roma eats spicy for sure. Travis Dotson, he's a huge spicy guy. Brody, uh, Brody Roybo as well. Uh, but you gotta stay this. You gotta keep the spicy food away from like Declan or like uh, Kevin McKinnis for sure, because they will sweat by eating just jalapeno peppers. <laughs> They're jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you give them a little bit of a hard time? Are you talking some smack about the spicy food to to Declan and those guys? Nah, I don't need to because if we got enough teammates to like give them crap about it, <laughs> I just laugh. I just go, ah, you're sweating bullets, you know. I sweat too. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, when I eat spicy food, I'm pouring down sweat, you know. But I'm like, I'm like literally enjoying the endorphins, I, I guess you want to say. Well, the endorphins is enjoying myself. I don't know how you, you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. You can run a marathon or you can eat spicy food, right? You get the same endorphin rush. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now I, I saw a video and this is going out on a limb. Do, do you have, do you have a goat for a pet? <laughs> no, no, no. So what happened was we were, we were doing like a video for the pandemic, right. You know, and then uh, uh, our, 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 our media, uh, JG, Jen Green wanted us to, to say something like positive and, and then uh, like a, a message, right? To let them know that, hey, things are okay and all these things. And my neighbor, which I, I, get, I have a you know very awesome neighbor next door and across the street, um, Rodrigo, his kid, uh, Leo was like doing some like pet seating with his sister, like different type of like farm animal pet seating. And they are able to have a, have a goat. And I was like, oh man, that's perfect. You know, like I want to take, I, can I, can I borrow this goat? for like, you know, five minutes to like do this, you know, this video and no one really pay attention until they were like, Jen, do you have a goat? And they all thought it was a puppy. Now that was like a dog. And I was like, nah, I just haven't randomly have a goat. Yeah. I don't have a goat. <laughs> you don't have a goat. Okay. No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. To keep it All right. So let's, uh, let's get you out on this. What are, what are you expecting? I mean, this is, this is going to be your first games where you're going to be the number one goalie. Most likely your team mm-hmm. is going for fourth gold medal in a row. 
What, what, what are you expecting as you're going into Beijing? Yeah, you know, something something for sure that, I, you know, our coach tell us and, and, you know, our teammates, our captains and, you know, things that I that I, that I learned over the years is, you know, we expect the unexpected. Right. But at the same time, you know, we can't control what's going to happen, but we but we can control the way we we prepare, we train and everything else. So, you know, for me, I, I know my my teammates has my back and I will play and my butt off for my teammates. And then when it comes to those games, you know, it, it is, you know, there's, there's definitely um, different ways where there's, you know, you call it the media or people that expect us to either to, to win or lose, whatever it is, right. We can't control that. We only can control what happens on the ice. And, and that's, that's the only, that's the only thing that can really respond to that, you know, where, you know, we're hoping, that we can we do everything the right way. We're healthy, and that's most importantly with this whole COVID thing. And when it comes to dialing in, you know, it's time to kick butt. You know, it's time to time to get it done. So no expectations. You're just going to bring everything you have and hope that it's the best. Yes, yes, sir. I like it, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us. This will be really cool for us to get a chance to watch you. Eight teams in the tournament. Is that right? Yep. Eight teams. Yep. Total. Mm-hmm. Eight Thank teams you. in the tournament. Okay. And so we mentioned some of the big ones, the, 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 the Canadians, the Chinese, the Russian, the RPC, sorry. I almost said it too. Uh, yeah. So, so this is it. This is it. It's going to happen. Good luck. And thank you so much for joining us here. No, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Again, I know. Thank you for considering me. It's an honor to be here. And, um, you know, I was able to, check you, you know, not check you out, but, you know, I, I, I really appreciate your philosophy of, of something in the context you said, it's not about what happens, you know, with you, it's about how, what you do with it, you know, and it's, it's a very similar philosophy when I kind of start figuring out, it's, you know, in the end, it's up to you, right? So, you know, it's up to you to, to make things happen. It's up to me to take that walk, take that first step, prosthetic leg, from uh, crutches, prosthetic legs and everything else. So, um, you know, what you do and what you, what you do for, in your organization is, is super awesome. It's great. And, um, and I'm glad we crossed path. And, and thank you so much for having me on, on your podcast today. Yeah, no, this is awesome. And it's a little bit like meditation, right? When you take that anger and take the time to breathe and recognize that you can, that you can react in a different way. So uh, no, this is awesome. And look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully. It won't happen in Beijing, but we will watch you on television in Beijing. Uh, To all of you who've tuned in, thank you for tuning in. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you like what you see here, please tell your friends about it. We're here every Wednesday, so you can tune in and see another great guest. It will eventually be a podcast. You'll be able to see it on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, all the places you find it. The greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends, to like us, to follow us, and we will see you next time. And Jen, best of luck, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, Chris. Yep. Hopefully we'll see each other. We'll cross path down the road. Sounds good. Take care.